Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is May 13th, 2019. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2 and we are both from McFlugel.com. Show notes page for this episode will be McFlugel.com slash 144. And with that, I'm going to hand it right over to Slappy and he's going to introduce our guest for this uh. episode. So you're going to have me introduce our sponsor, LibertyMugs.com. Oh, yeah. Well, you did that. <laughs> uh, no, our guest today is Jared. Jared is at JTTRisky0861. Jared is a Marine Corps veteran who is starting a podcast. And as um, the meme goes, as Rollo corrected me before we went on, it's a meme. Every libertarian has a podcast, but we think that's a great thing. So we're happy to have Jared on. And Jared, welcome to the Rollo and Slappy Show. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your podcast plan. Well, actually, before we get into that, you're a Marine Corps vet. Yes, sir. You are a little bit anti-war. Very, extremely anti-war. Yes. So how does that happen? Because <laughs> we were saying before we went on, we were, we were saying this too, a lot well, many of the veterans I know personally, um, of course, I have you know close relationship with them. But actually, all and every Marine, every Army guy I know personally is pretty anti-war right now. Um, they don't always agree with me on every policy, but when it comes to war, we are in total agreement, typically. And I find that so interesting. And I would like to hear a little bit about your story and how you went from the Marine Corps to being anti-war and were you always anti-war? Uh, uh, I guess I'll start like right before enlistment. So uh, I listened in the Marine Corps when I was 17, got the whole parents signature so I could do it early, but I only didn't go to boot camp. I was about 18, but uh, went through that and the journey to discovering that, uh, the military sucks. It's really, really a hard one, but it's definitely not something you notice until you're, unless you're really smart or you're noticing firsthand because uh, I can't even tell you the reason I really joined honestly anymore, but it, it was more or less, I didn't, I mean, I grew up in a poor family in upstate New York, you know, where the middle class gets destroyed by taxes every year. So when you're uh, in that environment and then, you're subject to a public schooling system, which has nothing but high regard for the military in our wars. And you just wind up signing the dotted line because it's uh, yeah, safe. <laughs> well, yeah. no, that's, that's interesting. I mean, there is, uh, I can certainly see why anyone would join the military. Uh, I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. Um, so, you know, I went, I mean, I went down to the Marine Corps recruiting office. I was ready to go. I was angry. And my football career and my dad kind of kept me from enlisting. But I, uh, there is, you know, no shame in being a 17-year-old. You see these Marines come in. They, got, they look sharp. They're cut. They got their suit. Well, I don't, I don't know what you call your uniform. Oh, yeah, not to interrupt you. Yeah, it's... Um... It is, uh, like I said, government propaganda is a bitch to overcome at 17. Oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. like, unless, uh, let's be real here, like, the whole libertarian atmosphere and the anti-war sentiment amongst the population is not really broadcasted a lot. And not a lot of 17-year-olds look for that kind of information when they're younger. So it, uh, 
they definitely get you. They get you pretty easily. Well, they yeah. Do. I mean, when, and too, when, when you're a boy and, you know, a young teenager into, into your teenage years too, all like the, you know, looking at jets, you know, the fighter jets and tanks and stuff. Oh, and yeah. God, it's, it's cool. It's awesome. I loved it. Dude, the, thing, the thing, I love history. The thing that got me in the history was military. It started with military oh. history and then it went into more history. But it right. started with, you know, I'm a freaking 16, 15 year old boy. I like, I like things blowing up. Uh, I, I think that's something. I think that's something. Was Scott Horton said that in like one of the recent podcasts where he mentioned <laughs> Americans are stupid. They just like watching shit blow up on TV. That's one hundred percent true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think we, <laughs> there's there's not too many people I don't think who didn't feel that kind of urge. Like that would be really cool to do. You know, when you're a kid, when you're a teenager. Yeah, I mean, I've oh, I've, yeah. ref- I've refined my taste now to enjoy stuff blowing up when it doesn't involve killing people at least. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. But it uh, we'll get we'll get to the war part in the, in a little bit. But uh, so if you don't, <clears throat> if you don't mind saying, and if you do mind saying, please, please tell me, uh, what year did you enlist? What year was it? Uh, two thousand eleven, the end of okay. two thousand eleven. So where were we in our foreign policy? I mean, Ron Paul was running for president for two thousand twelve. We were. Was this af- This was before the Afghanistan surge. Uh, that Obama was doing? No, I think it was like right in the beginning of it. Just off, I can't think of it off like actual what was Afghanistan surge, but I know for a fact that there's obviously we know the units that are above us. They wind up being our seniors and stuff like that. So I know there was a lot of guys who went to a lot of really heavy deployments, like right before I kind of became like a mature Marine when I was in the mm-hmm. fleet, which was like a few years later. But 2011, uh, I don't know. I remember the wars being like this drawdown thing when I was enlisting. Like that's why a lot of right. my family wasn't freaked out about it. Todd so Howie pretty much my dad, my, my dad's uh, my stepdad's an army vet. So he like talked my mom down from it. He honestly, he just thought I wasn't going to make it through boot camp. So he was just like, yeah, whatever. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause well, you know, that's, it's interesting being 2011 cause we had been in the war for a while by that time. Um, like I said, when I was a senior in high school was 2001 um, when September 11th happened, a lot of people who were older than me who in, had enlisted in the years before that <laughs> were kind of upset. And they were like, I didn't sign up for a war. I signed up to, you know, do whatever, the, get, get benefits, get my school paid for. And now you're sending me to this war that I don't agree with. Um, so it's, it's interesting you joined in 2011. So that you were saying they were winding down. So people were starting to come home. We thought this was kind of getting close to the end. Yeah, from what I remember, at least when I was like about 16, 17, when I was like more younger teenager. Sure. But yeah, I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to go because there weren't a lot of units deploying in the time that I deployed in because I deployed in like 2014. Mm-hmm. So it was like uh, we were we were considered the uh, the last combat deployment to Afghanistan How during the that? drawdown when they were draw- breaking down a lot of the bases. Gotcha. So how long were you uh, deployed for? Seven months. Okay. And where in Afghanistan? Could you? Would you mind talking about your? Oh yeah, I can talk about that. Yeah, Um, I deployed to Helmand Province, based in Camp Bastion, which is uh, basically the little British air base that's right next to Camp Leatherneck. And uh, we, uh, yeah, basically our our entire mission was more or less. they, they call it, it was uh, disrupting the enemy. So the first stage of our mission was that we were drawing down. So it was 2014. It was like that big drawdown phase. And they actually did do it at a lot of the bases. Uh, like one company got posted out on like this one base. 
and uh, basically just sat there and guarded it while it got broken down. And then a big part of our mission was to basically create like a giant secure route from like one of the northern bases of Afghanistan so that they could break it down and all the troops and equipment could come through that. And then after that, we got like uh, basically our mission, every single intel brief was that we were uh, disrupting the enemy. So we're basically going into these villages that were uh, around areas that we haven't had troops through in a little bit and was to basically like walk around until they shot at us. Yeah. That was, yeah. Disrupting the enemy, man. Crazy. Now the villager, what were these villages like? What were the people like? Did you interact? um, Every, every town was different. Uh, there'd be sometimes we'd come out, we'd like come in once they realized we were there. It was like a freaking party. We had people bringing out a uh, foot bread, their foot bread, which was freaking delicious, pomegranates, like a bunch of food, chai tea, everything like that. The kids are all playing around. And then there's other villages that absolutely hated us. We used to, uh, you just told the, like all their Taliban villages, but it's like, no, just, these guys just don't like us because they would, they hated Taliban too. The interpreters would talk about it. Like the village hated everybody. They just wanted people, they just want to be left alone, would you say? Yeah. So majority of Afghanistan doesn't really give a shit who the president is. Right. Um, like pretty much once you go outside the outskirts of the capital, it's whoever's the chief is the chief. Like he's in charge. He makes the rules. He's in charge of the village. Like even the like Afghan army and everything like that, pretty much it's, they just go and talk to him because they have no real authority. Yeah, that's that's so different compared to what so many Westerners are used to that, you know, we have this the the federal or, or central government that really does have an impact on your life. And, and and although that said, you can understand when you go out into some parts of the, even the United States out to, you know, like the maybe the the Midwest or the Rocky Mountain region. Oh, dude, doesn't even compare. <laughs> there's like a small amount like you can kind of get lost out in the shuffle there oh easily like backwoods alabama types right but Dude, i mean like, you can go into backwoods the- alabama types times like a hundred i'm not talking right, right. about like ferocity or the fact it was you know the evil evil bad guys or anything it was more or less like Dude, these people are like in the stone. This is what the first thing that really got to me was like, these people are living in the stone age with AKs and fucking motorcycles. Right. <laughs> and we're, and I'm like controlling. Cause my job was to call in, uh, my job was to call in airstrikes. I was in charge of the air assets designated towards a platoon or whatever, or towards a company. So I'd get air tasked to me and I was in charge of that stuff. So I'm like sitting there. So I know like what all the munitions are, like how much they cost, like what their effects are, everything like that. And I'm like, we're fucking using this for that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so talk about that a little, because we always, uh, I mean, part of the, the, the joke or the line that people say about, about these wars is that we're, you know, this, the, the greatest, most powerful army in the history of the world is kind of losing a battle against cavemen. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. Uh, that gets into a complicated question. Cause that gets into like, what each side determines as a victory. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to uh, like, you're getting into like military stuff, when it comes into like an unconventional force versus like your conventional military force, their objectives are so out of line with each other that both sides can declare victory and be correct. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Like, 
as long as as long as as long as America's there and they keep fighting, they're just they're there. As long as somebody there, that's the thing is you can't you can't beat an insurgency because unlike a military, you have to enlist and you get the orders and you're in the military. It's anybody who picks up a fucking rifle, goes and shoots at U.S. Marines and says I'm Taliban. They just go, hey, you're Taliban. Sure, sure. It's a different different kind of war for sure. Then world it's, people love to point to World War Two where you had two conventional powers and militaries or multiple militaries and powers fighting an insurgency is certainly uh, different and how do yeah, you kill, kill an idea even kill even in world war even world war ii you look at like uh yugoslavia or freaking uh yugoslavia the polish resistance and the french resistance like the, the insurgencies are really hard man even against yeah. the strongest military on the planet sure absolutely i mean <laughs> I think you have history or example after example in, in history shows that you know you're fighting someone's home turf they're that's, that's a different story than than going out into a battlefield somewhere and and settling a score yeah, oh, yeah. So, so tell me about you enlisted in 2011 you got deployed in 2014 in those three years are you in the united states are you training were you at a overseas base somewhere uh so the way the marine corps works is you go to boot camp for 13 weeks so i went to paris island i was east coast because obviously i'm from uh, upstate new york so i go there you go there for 13 weeks and then you get 10 days off to go back home and see your family like hey i'm a marine yeah and you know try to go get laid in your new uniform and try to beat somebody up because you got a tan belt (laughs) and uh you know, all of a sudden you could drink more too. That's the best part. When you get back from boot camp, it's like all of a sudden oh, I could totally drink more because I haven't drank in 13 weeks. It got yelled at and hazed. So like now all of a sudden I'm a better man. <laughs> but uh, no, so then you go to your uh, every Marine. This is where they start different from the Army is then you go to combat training. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't infantry. I was combat support, so I don't get to go to the it's like a 59 day training course for infantry. Uh, you go to 39 day or yeah, 29 day course. Yeah. 29 day course. And it's basically like a, the Marine Corps manual instruction on how to do stuff for like combat. It's like combat training basically. And then after that you go to school. So I had to go to two schools. I had to go to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where I had to do uh, to learn how to do artillery. And that's where they also base teach you how to like read a military map and all that fun stuff, how to locate targets. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I went to Coronado and that's where you do naval gunfire training. So that's where you learn how to call for fire from um, like a destroyer or like a cruiser because they're the only ones that have guns anymore. And then I got sat in the fleet, but because of the current war, you can imagine how artillery and naval guns isn't really like a useful thing in uh, Afghanistan. So you basically, in my job, you didn't really deploy or do anything unless you proved you were good. And then your unit selected, you went to what's called JFO school, which is where you basically learn how to do aircraft and you get the certification that you can target for aircraft. So the whole time you were doing this training, did you know you would eventually be in Afghanistan? Or was that, I mean, obviously it's a possibility, but did you know where, when you were being deployed? Or is it just kind of like you get a phone call or a letter or called into an office and they say, we're shipping you out? next week oh yeah because uh basically the only units deploying to afghanistan at the time were at 29 palms so i got stationed there so it was like oh there's the possibility and then uh yeah once you get sent to jfo school that unit makes that investment because you know it still costs the unit money i know it's not their money but it's still you know they have to pretend they they care they have to yeah they have to pretend they actually have a budget right but uh i'll tell you a funny story that you're really liking a little bit but uh freaking 
it'll totally surprise you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so then if they're going to make that investment, then that's usually because you got slotted for deployment. So once I got uh, sent to JFO school, then it was I got put into like this little fake team within our own unit. And then they do the paperwork and I get processed over to the unit I'm going to deploy with. So I get attached to that unit. And then, yeah, then you're a part of them. So when you're in JF, uh, JFO, is that, that what it was, JFO school? Yeah, it's like a 30-day uh, air, air support course. Sure. Where were you politically at this time? Have you, would you oh, have considered was, yourself libertarian? Oh, no. I didn't truly consider myself like libertarian until I was about a year out of the Marine Corps. But I definitely okay. became like more adamantly anti-war. And uh, I started leaning that way, thanks to one of my buddies that I was with. He already had converted to the satellite. So... He uh, started kind of like subtly, he did it right. He just subtly kept dropping like little bits of information on me throughout time. This is one of your fellow Marines? Yeah, he's one of the guys I moved out here with originally. Yeah, so you want to tell us about that a little bit? Like where, you know, what what kind of stuff did he do? And and what kind of, what what ideas kind of stuck in your head? Did he, I'm interested in this because I've I've never, never really considered that, that, I don't know that I've never considered it, but but this idea that you get one guy and kind of starting to spread the seeds out there, I would, I would think, or at least I would say that it's uh, to me, it would, I would assume it would be more of a personal, very personal thing that you just kind of go through something and, and it kind of smacks you. Um, it was, was there a moment? Was there something that stuck out? I know Rallo and I have talked about it before, but for me it was back in 2008 and I was having an argument with a Democrat about the presidential election and i was like well i am never going to lose an argument again i'm going to go get an economics book happened to pick up a henry hazlitt book economics in one lesson didn't know who hazlitt was i just looked at the table of contents i said this is what i want to read and that was life-changing and that was the moment that put me down this path was there anything like that that really stuck out maybe you said something or you read something uh from him personally not so much it was, uh, I remember one argument we got into about like, uh, it's cause me and another Democrat guy were like arguing with each other. <laughs> um, so he was, a, he was a Marine, but he was a Democrat and we were in an argument in the smoke pit, which is the place you can smoke you know, around your barracks. And, uh, basically he just like came out cause I was like trying to defend like, Oh, the national debt. But he was a slightly smarter being at the time. So he was like, well, why does the national debt matter? Cause he's a Democrat. And I couldn't answer that question because I never really read into economics. I've always been more into history and everything. So he basically started yelling at me because I was more wrong than the Democrats. Because at least the Democrat knew he was stupid. <laughs> so that kind of yeah, that was that was a big that was a big whammy to me. Um, honestly, it was the uh, this is gonna I'm gonna get so much hate for this. Uh, Gary Johnson, yeah. No, it was, I already had the ideas at the time, but it was more or less like, I was like, oh, he was, he was the one when I entered into like, when I thought voting sure. mattered. So. Sure, sure. Hey no, man, that's, I, uh, that's, I voted that's for good. him too back yeah, in the day, good. so <laughs> it doesn't matter how you, it doesn't really matter how you get there. I mean, I was, man, if you think Gary Johnson's bad is kind of being your red pill, it was Glenn Beck for me. That's who I was reading that got oh, me down the path, so. Oh. Hey, yeah, I made you feel a little bit better, didn't I? Yeah, you got. Oh yeah, my dad, my dad was a big Reagan conservative back in the day. I've actually converted him. I got him to vote for Larry Sharp. Voted for the first time in nice. like ten years. Got him to vote for Larry Sharp. Got him to go to one of the rallies, and he was like, "You know what? He makes a lot of sense." I'm like, "Dad, no shit, dude." <laughs> That's great. But, uh, 
but he was a big Reagan Republican conservative. So like, and, and you know, it's my dad. So like, ah, but uh, the seeds were already planted early on. I always liked uh, like enlightenment era ideas. So I read a lot of John Locke as a teenager. Okay. And then I've always been very pro gun for the right reasons. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's good. At least you had a, a, a basis for something. It wasn't like it was a uh, completely, uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about Gary Johnson. Uh, I, I think it, that's something, not someone you normally hear about uh, as, as being a help with the conversion, but like I said, Hey, it doesn't matter who does it or what does it. Honestly, it just, it, just, it was just coincidence. He, when the whole election cycle started and I was like looking at stuff and I had most of the ideas and, been planned into my head already so then it was more or less like the republican base i was just like dude the republican party's trash and <laughs> my buddy freaking just went on a rant about it and so i was like i, I guess I'll, i'm gonna vote for gary johnson then because i never voted before so i was like i'm just gonna, I'm gonna go give a shot fuck it <laughs> so after the after you voted for gary johnson was it like all right well he's this libertarian guy what is libertarianism Basically, or, yeah, that's that's more or less what it was. I didn't really care for Gary Johnson. I right. best case, I was like, he he can't do any harm, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was, he that's was pretty much what it was. We like gridlock, don't we? Come on now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like he didn't burn down New Mexico, so I guess. I yeah, <laughs> like, they did all right. Like, come on. So what'd you like, do? You see the other. So what was? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. What what after Gary? Like what what did you do next? Like, uh, what did you find a book to start talking to people? Start basically, yeah. I, yeah, I, I dive straight in. I, I like reading. I like learning. So, like, I dived into, uh, I did, obviously, I did, because uh, I didn't know a lot about economics. I knew I liked free market just off historical examples. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, so I, I jumped into economics in one lesson. It was basically my little, Not nice. my little primer for me. But, uh, you know, I got into Rothbard, and I always uh, got into Ludwig von Mises for a lot, long time, too. I still like him. Yeah, I mean, he's the <laughs> capitalism, capitalism and freedom. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so I just dove in and then found all the podcasts and everything like that too. So the, part of the part of the problem and stuff like that. So now this was all after you were out of the Marine Corps, correct? Yeah, I I had already been out of the Marine Corps for about a year or so. Okay. So now, my grandfather was a Marine and fought in Korea, mm-hmm. and. Like I, I said, he was he was still he's passed away, but he was still alive. Two thousand one, and I was fired up, and I, I thought because he was a proud Marine, he wore his Marine stuff. We would go to football games together, and there's someone flying a Marine Corps flag. He'd walk over and introduce himself, and he was a Marine. But one mm-hmm. thing that always stuck with me, and I wish I had a chance to have a real conversation with him, because I was so angry after nine eleven, and I remember him telling me, "War is always awful." And people are people everywhere. And it kind of shocked me because I always knew him as like gung-ho Marine. And that always stuck with me. And this was way before I was a libertarian. But I always remembered that. And then, as I I was saying earlier, some vets I know personally are also very anti-war. Is this a common thing? Do you see this with a lot of your, your, I don't don't know, your comrades, your fellows? I mean, uh, that's, is this like, would you be comfortable talking about this stuff with most Marines or is it, I think from the civilian outlook, like I, like I was saying, when I look at Marines and, and they, you know, when I used to work in a bar and you always knew who the Marines were because they were always telling you they were a Marine. Um, 
And so I, it would always be kind of tough to bring up an anti-war topic to them because they're so proud of their Marine Corps. But I have found that a lot of them are anti-war. Do you think that's a common thing? Every, everybody thinks war is really badass until you actually go do it, man. Until you have to be um, sure. A lot of people figure it out quickly because they're, they're smarter than us when we're younger. But um, they, they are just people. It's uh, When you see it firsthand and you're trying to justify the actions and everything like that, and it goes, it goes twofold. It's a double-edged play. It goes back and forth where it goes into a lot of the times when you're fighting, even though when you get there, you immediately see a lot of it's bullshit. But at the same time, the – the actual bad guys that are there that you would probably consider even morally objectively bad, even you, when you, yeah, not, not the freedom fighter part or anything like that. Like that mm-hmm. when they like cut heads off people and stuff like those people, those, that little group, like they, they make it really hard not to hate them. I believe that. And, and you see, and you see that, and then you got this, the cultural differences and everything like that. But you see like a lot of it, you're just looking around. You're just like, these guys are just like, most of them are farmers. Like they're just farmers and ranchers. And then especially the like little villages and stuff where they're like really happy to see us. You just, you can't help but be like, this is another person. You feel bad for the kids too. Sure. Um, I can certainly see, or at least try to see why there would be so much pride. I mean, you guys go through a lot together and you're, you're in a war together. You're getting shot at, you're, you know, doing whatever you're doing. You're oh yeah. Up hate, each other. Hate, so there's hate certainly breeds, a brotherhood. Yeah. Hate breeds camaraderie. Hate and discontent breeds camaraderie pretty easily. It's just you, you. You're around a bunch of guys, and you know you click up pretty quick with different people and everything like that. And it's you know you get up and you go work out together, and then you go to breakfast together, and then you go to work together, and then you come back home together, and then you go out drinking together, and you try to pick up chicks together, and then you go back on base together. It's mm-hmm. you're, you're gonna bond. So, so was that that kind of leads me to a, a question? So by the time you were finishing up your deployment, how anti-war? Would you, or at least, or maybe not anti-war, but how did, what was your opinion of the war at that point, by the time you were finishing I, up your deployment? I wouldn't say that, that, that right after deployment, as I was, or as I was finishing up, had like staunchly um, made me anti-war, it definitely made me anti-that war. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it opened my eyes to a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the bullshit. Like you, I mean, they're beating the war drums right now. So you mm-hmm. see all the same things that they used to say leading up to Iraq, that they said leading up to Afghanistan, the, you know, and then not to mention all the other places that we're in that just never get talked about ever. I always sure. like when one of my friends go like, uh, where was it in Nigeria where those special forces guys got shot? And uh, like I was talking about it with one of my friends and somebody who was in the car was like, wait, we have, we have troops in Nigeria. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Shoots everywhere, man. Yeah, that well, was the first time. Bases all over the world, dude. Well, that's, that's, that's what people, that's what I wish people had better reactions to when you hear about American troops getting shot or, or engaged somewhere. It's like, oh, people's reaction is, oh, it's whatever the reaction is. But the reaction should be, wait, why Why are there American troops in country? Yeah, X, I love y, that Z? reaction. I'm like, let me tell you because yeah. I don't know. Let me, <laughs> yeah. I like, I tried to figure it out. And the only thing I can think of is, empire so like if you got a better option you got a better answer than that then please i I like to hear it really sucks to figure out that you're a stormtrooper man you're not luke skywalker (laughs) anymore so yeah with that i mean (laughs) i know just a few minutes ago you're talking about the camaraderie and everything and and even the hatred for for some of those you know the the guys that were cutting heads off is that is that what gets you through 
the end of your deployment? Because I, I, I have to imagine that's got to be like an emotional and mental, just, just huge thing to get to overcome that you got to, you, you still got to fight this war over there, but like now you're just like, man, what am I, what, what gets you through all that? It's like, I, I uh, have to imagine it's, it's awful. A lot of the times it's, it's, it's a lot for one, it's the only thing you really focus on at the time because you know, the kind of environment that you're in. And then on top of that, uh, when that bullets actually stop flying, start flying, man, there's no big picture. It's right. It's, it's, it's raw animal. It's fight or flight. You just you rely on what you know and you try to work your way through it. But outside of that, you're, you're not thinking of it a whole lot. And it's not like, you know, I, I always, I always hate it that for some reason it's not mainstream to ha- mainstream to have the concept that both sides of a conflict can be absolute shit. Like mm-hmm. civil war, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's the same concept here. It's, you know, um, one thing that got me was a lot. It wasn't the you know the Taliban, everything like that. But it's like you know we're not just fighting the Taliban. We're also fighting the ones that do get you. Is the fact that you realize a lot of times you're fighting somebody that's trying to shoot you because we fucking dropped a bomb on his uncle like twelve years ago, right? Like you're talking about like fifteen year old kids that have like no no identifying marks of radicalization, no, you know, p- propaganda or anything like that. They usually find all they have is an old ass Turkish eight millimeter Mauser that they can g- go get their revenge with. It's, it goes between that and then actual like organized bad dudes. They're like trying to blow you up and stuff. Yeah. Um, it just confuses and, and, complicates everything when you've got oh yeah there, there's no there's no you know for lack of a better term there's no one clear enemy it's just it, it, man oh yeah and they're they're, they're not very smart they're, they're not riflemen by any nature it's probably the reason why they don't do as well as they should a lot of times they set up some pretty complex stuff but like they really really need to like go to their range more or something they suck <laughs> Like they're terrible. Like there's no reason that a lot of us should be standing around anymore. If like I could throw you behind like a machine gun for five minutes, you'd probably do better. Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, like you said, they're from you give someone from uh, I'm like you said they're from the the Stone Age. Essentially, they're very poor. Yeah. Um, you give oh, them a high build... powered weapon, and it's like yeah. I mean, they build those AKs in like caves, dude. Like they shit, they no shit sit there. They just grab a bunch of parts from all different AKs from all different countries. They sit there and assemble them together, shave the wood for the stock and the handle and everything. They just slap them together and out they go, man. There you go. Which is, I mean, that's ballsy. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, like we could sit and talk about how terrible shots they were, but I mean, man, you're going up against like this well-groomed, uh, Machine. military machine and you're yeah. just a kid who just like i don't know might have been the first time you shot a gun and yeah and he's about to just get overwhelmed by firepower that's, yeah. especially the marine corps itself like that's the sop or the standing operating procedure is you take contact you i mean it's, it's an assault force for the military it's what the marine corps purpose is mm-hmm. yeah. really and subjectively and so like you overwhelming firepower maneuver like there's so when it's like some kid with absolutely probably shot that gun like four times in his whole life like once at a coyote and <laughs> now he's taking a shot at marines and then like a bunch of machine guns grenade launchers rifles just everything yeah it's yeah 
Man, yeah, so it's like if and that, that's why it just seems so uh, uh I can't think of the word, but so doing that it's so in vain that like trying to win this fight where you got these people like that that are willing to do that despite just the absolutely overwhelming odds against them that uh, that's an idea that you're just never gonna kill. Oh, the best part ever too was uh, about two not even I think it was a month after I left after I was back on base. I was sitting in the chow hall and I look up and I'm looking through like my, um, my phone, my newsfeed and everything like that. And, uh, the barracks that we were staying in on camp bash and got attacked and they all, they got blown to pieces. Like the entire base got overrun like three weeks after we left. We're just like, really? Wow. Like y'all couldn't, y'all couldn't hold it together for like a month. Yeah. Really? It's... So going going back to your experience a little bit, you said as you were there, you realized how this war was bullshit. Was there anything in particular that stood out? Do you have any stories where you were like, why the hell are we doing this? What are we doing? My first mission, my very first mission um, doing helo inserts, we have this whole operation. They're sitting there giving their, we're going to disrupt the enemy speech. And then like, they're telling us like this, is a drug compound like because the taliban pretty much or all those all those organizations pretty much use drugs to finance by drugs yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's, yeah it's easy easy finance sure and um so like big drug stashes would be like a big marker for us to be like oh yeah there's probably bad guys there so we're there sitting there talking about weapon stashes drug stashes that like this is gonna be like our fallujah this is gonna be a war it's gonna be a battle we're all like what can we get out there we insert we uh, we're starting to clear the village. We're getting the villagers out, and uh, this old guy comes out and starts talking to our lieutenant. And they're having this big conversation. Our lieutenant's looking a little confused. The interpreter sitting there relaying back and forth. And then a bunch of younger males, like like I'm talking about, like my age or younger, about like in their twenties, and they come out and just start beating the hell out of this old man. I mean, hitting him with rocks and just kicking him. And we're sitting there like we thought this was their village elder. We were. What in the hell is happening? Turns out that um, in that certain village or in that area, they don't understand the concept of a mental disability. They don't understand mm. what it is. So he's just crazy. Hmm. And then the actual, so we spent two hours talking to that guy that he's just hmm. telling us the whole village was Taliban. Right. The actual village elder comes out, completely complies with us, gets all of his villagers out. Um, us and the Afghan army start going through the town, going through the houses, um, searching the area. And hours go by. We're supposed to get resupplied with water. Don't get resupplied with water. We go about five hours. But we went about four or five hours in about 125 degree heat with all the kits and everything. No water. And our lieutenant was still trying to make us do combat patrols, even though we had no contact and no sign of contact at Hmm. any time. Um, Finally get resupplied, get the water, start looking through all these, you know, whole time we're looking through all these markers. Turns out that our uh, drugs and weapon stashes were holes that they were pooping in. <laughs> the entire it was an entire like two three day operation that had this whole name this whole objective talked up and we just we just created a farm oh, yeah. yeah like i'm talking inter- we you know we're interdicting vehicles like popping pen flares in front of vehicles Jeez. doing our iad searches like they this whole shebang mm-hmm. not a shot was fired not the, our, we had a casualty because he um somebody didn't eat enough so they couldn't retain water and they freaking stroked out so wow. there was our casualty. Oh, we wow. roasted. 
we roasted wow. like four hours, four or five hours in the sun. So these no people got to be Every- thinking like, what the hell is wrong with this? Oh, and the best part is we made the villagers. They were out there with us the whole time. Jeez. At no time did we ever go like, hey, maybe we should let these people like, I don't know, back into their houses. It, you know, but, you know, they might be bad, you know, we're in this terrible place. They might go get their guns and shit. I'm like, I would have been is was that something obviously wouldn't happen every single time but is that like not a rare occurrence that something like that would happen oh dude military intelligence is the biggest oxymoron on the face of the planet <laughs> dude like yeah like you go into these, these like places like it happened all the time like you, ever, you know even a clock is right two times a day so yeah if you rate everyone you're gonna find it right yeah so like you know we'd find stuff or we'd go in and we'd find stuff and like weapons and stuff but it's like well, yeah man we found like a 30 pound bag of opium and like an ak but it is afghanistan so like <laughs> I, I don't know you know there were things we did get like legitimate bus and we did take legitimate contact ruin against you know what you would what you would probably maybe consider a terrorist but yeah like that happened too but I was yeah. going to say, if I'm living in Afghanistan, I might want to have an AK around. You never know. <laughs> oh, like, dude, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like they actually, like, that's loud. Like, and people walk around with them all day. So you're just like, oh, hey, hey if they point it at you, toss the axle and tent so you can shoot. It's like, oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, I, I mean, then, I could I could see kind of all parties involved going through these these exercises of just futility and – like you said, it's 125 degrees out. I mean, people start getting upset and not thinking straight for reasons being that they're probably, you know, showing signs of heat stroke and uh, heat exhaustion and, and otherwise just being annoyed at everything that those, you know. those, those villagers took it like champs. So I'll give them that. They're really apparently they must've been used to this or something. Cause like every like 30, 40 minutes, they would ask the interpreter if they go in their houses yet. And the interpreter would ask the tenant to be like, no, the turbo tell them no and they're just like oh, okay and just sit back down i'm like jesus wow yeah it's yeah it's the cult the culture is a shock it's not anything you can really explain it's more or less something you can experience yeah so i hear you. so tell us a little bit about your podcast what you're going to do with it what your plans are uh so uh, as i said before basically i man, i live in a house with about four or five marine corps vets um all of us serve together two of us deployed together and basically, uh, the three of us got to talking, want to start it. We just, we don't see, like, uh, for as many libertarians that we know that are out there that are veterans, we don't we don't really see something that orients itself towards that in any kind of way. Um, like, off the top of my head, I can't really think of many that actually use that as, like, more or less the front runner, or, like, the main theme of the show. And trying to be in a veteran and being exposed to libertarianism, if you don't enter through the right ways can be uh, a little forbidding. Is that the right word? Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Like when I first got into it, it's all like, Oh, you're a welfare horde. I hate you. And I'm like, Oh dude, nice (laughs) to meet you too, man. (laughs) Peace, peace, love brother. (laughs) Like, I don't like, like, especially I'm not an ANCAP. So I, you know, I get the memes. I get the memes all the time. I, what is I like? I liked what a uh, weather girl said on Fagcast was, uh, "I'm anarcho curious." <laughs> but uh, there you go. But no, I like. So I get. Hey, I, I, you know, I like all those memes and everything. I could take. I could take. I could take it to the chin. It's okay. <laughs> but I, I wanted. But most of the podcast, I wanted something that 
that, that can introduce some someone to it. If I can get if I can get at least a couple more veterans to at least be introduced to the philosophy, because there's plenty, especially anti-war veterans out there, as you, as you guys yourselves have said before. So the population's out there, and I just I don't know. I figured Things nobody are- else is doing it, and I have free time on the weekends, so I'm going to do it. That's and great. we're basically just going to take it to where it goes. Like I'm not trying to make anything super serious. I know most things we'll talk about will be a little doomy gloomy, but want to make something that's a little lighthearted like we're funny sometimes <laughs> so we'll give it a shot but uh yeah i wanted that and then you know just a place that people can go to get that kind of perspective and we'll talk about everything ranging from uh foreign policy more and more or less a lot but uh foreign policy basically veterans a milit- anything military related really will go into when it with modern current events or whatever um We'll talk about the wars. We'll talk about what we think. We'll talk about what we, anything from that. And then just what our takes on libertarian philosophy, especially right to bear arms like that. Nice. Well, I think it's a good idea because, I mean, I, I have to imagine there's a lot of guys that are in the military or just finishing up in the military. And I'm sure they've confused, got a lot of questions and if or just trying to sort through everything that happened. And if they can have guys that they kind of relate to that can kind of walk them through some of this stuff. I think it, it could be very valuable to them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially have that experience. Cause it's one thing for like slappy and I to go off and and do an episode (laughs) about being anti-war and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool guys. Yeah. You were sitting at home (laughs) while I was over there. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I love, I love, I I love Republicans now. Like they're my favorite now. Like being a (laughs) a damn near and cap, like more or less mid cap uh, veteran is uh, it's, it's fun. It's real fun. They they don't know what the hell to do. Usually, I just get accused of stolen valor. They're like, "You weren't in the military," and I'm like, "Sure, dude." And then all my buddies that I'm roommates with start jumping out. They're like, "You're an idiot." I'm like, "God, is that your argument now?" But uh, well, it's it's two way too because uh, veterans don't trust people. Like you know, you get duped that hard, you, just, you tend to have trust issues. <laughs> but sure. uh, no, it's not, like yeah, veterans like other veterans. That's definitely a thing. Like even when I was going to college and everything like that, it was like I would look for the the lone t- mid twenty something look your, your old <laughs> angry guy sitting in the corner, and be like, "Here, be my friend this semester." <laughs> but uh, so it's that, and then it's it's a lot easier to talk about something from firsthand experience because it's a lot harder for people to just spew bullshit about it. Because you know, there's I'm not saying we're not going to say it at all. We'll never try to say that any of you guys know ever hit the nail on the head. You miss sometimes. We had told that I guarded opium fields because, I mean, I didn't. Right. Maybe other guys did, but, like, no, nah, we just kind of walked around and got shot at sometimes. That's sure. Good time. That's, that's actually what I, what I hear from people who've been there. A lot of walking around waiting to get shot at. Yeah, it's, it's all you can do because you can't really, like, you don't know where they are. Uh, like, the unit before we, uh, like, a couple years before we got there and their last, like, rotation everything, I mean, they, they hit pretty much the last strongholds in afghanistan pretty hard and you're talking about like strongholds it was probably maybe like a hundred dudes in one spot maybe like so they hit all those and we were just doing drawdown stuff and just walking around they figured you know if they uh they shoot at us they can't shoot at the base i'm like sure (laughs) (laughs) wow well you're just walking targets basically oh yeah dude especially since i had a radio oh it's so much fun uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i said they're smart they like everything about their basic strategy is pretty on point they're like oh it's it's a radio antenna it's important but then they fucking uh-huh. miss it's like, <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. So okay. So yeah, you're walking around with a radio. They think that's their communication. Let's get yeah. him out. Yeah. No, there's no way you're not important. The, the government, right. the government's a finicky thing. They just hand radios to everybody. What are you crazy? <laughs> Oh, man. Dude, my, uh, my, in fact, I couldn't even carry my bayonet. I actually, uh, we had to carry a bag, duffel bag full of everybody's bayonets. And then our battalion commander said we couldn't use them because they looked unprofessional on our jackets. Really? Yeah. And then I what? got yelled at Wait. on an op because I didn't have a knife. And I was like, well, I was supposed to get my issued bayonet, but apparently it's unprofessional for me to have my issued bayonet. Is there a reason for that? Like, no, he just, it was his decision, man. It's the Marine Corps. Oh. Dude, don't apply logic. Don't, don't apply logic to it. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> like, oh, the thing I was going to really like is uh, my first, uh, it was real good. My first battalion commander, when I showed up to my unit and everything, he, uh, he got, uh, he got brought down and rank and everything. Cause he was money laundering. He was like, jeez, oh, yeah, he got caught with it too. He was like, <laughs> he would, he would lie on how many shells he used on a field op. And then just like, what do they out. like write him a check for it? Yeah. They like, yeah, so like he has his budget and everything, and they actually have to like buy the shells. Right. So then he would, you know, he would claim they shot 150 shells, but they only shot like 140. And then he would use those shells to replace ones. And in some yeah, way, he was able to like scheme get money, money out of it, it somehow. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. That was fun. Fun time. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, what's your podcast going to be called? Do you have a name? Uh, it's called Biting the Bullet, is the, uh, the name we got right now. I like it. It's what we're is going it, with. We stuck with it. Is it live? Can we can we subscribe? Uh, not yet. Actually, we had uh, we underestimated how much Mother's Day was going to screw their plans. I put a tweet out about it for the you know like four people that are looking forward to this. But uh, <laughs> but no, I, uh, yeah, Mother's Day kind of screwed with our plans. We weren't able to get recorded and everything like that. This was actually the uh, the test for our microphone too. So cool, good. Nice. So yeah. do, you a, do you have a website yet, or, or just either a way for people to find the podcast when it's released? Uh, we have a, we have a Twitter page. I just have to finish the graphic on and we're going to start using it. We're going to start using it when the podcast comes out. Uh, for now, people can follow me and if they want, they'll see, I'll get the other guys to, uh, to post something about it, to try to get people on them too. So they can see what's going on. Sure. And your Twitter handle is so people can, uh, JTT risky at, uh, yeah. At JTT risky. Always six, one JTTRs uppercase. And we'll be looking forward to it. I'm always interested in hearing a vet's perspective, a guy who's been there, a guy who knows the propaganda for sure and certainly knows the war. And, you know, you said you have an interest in history and foreign policy, two things we're into. So I will be subscribing and following you on Twitter as I do. Definitely. Um, Yeah. Do you have uh, anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. uh, Not that I can think of. No, I think. Pretty much went through everything unless you guys got any more questions or anything for me. No, I just figured we uh jump in unless slap did you have anything? I don't want to cut you off. No, no. I mean I could, but let's uh <laughs> you had a free market story? Yeah, Jared, uh I we talked about this a little before. I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't want to, but do you have a any anything? I got nothing. Okay. I got nothing. <laughs> put me on the spot a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh it's it's fun for me to do it. Yeah, we like, we like to put people on it's, the spot. It's the little victories in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Rollo wins. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got a win for today. Ooh. So, uh, uh, I guess it was last week or two weekends ago. Uh, I picked up some furniture from my aunt, uh, that is, uh, my grandparents dining room set and, and a little bit of other stuff. And so it's old, like 40 or 50 years old. And I got it back to my house and, and wanted to move it around to places I wanted 
too in the house. But uh, all of the old furniture pads on the feet were like either like stupid that weird plastic stuff that you had to nail in that the mm-hmm. the nails that were immediately ex- exposed mm-hmm. instead of the the thing. And then on the dining room table, it actually used, had metal pads. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. Um. So I went online and and bought new furniture pads for him and uh, pads I've had before. I just would go out to you know like a hardware store and get like the the felt pads with the stickers on the bottom, mm-hmm. and they work well. But as you're moving them around, they they kind of fall off. But these other pads, they have a uh, uh, you know strong felt on the bottom, and then you nail them in, but it's kind of a, a hollow ring that you stab into the wood. Uh, so it prevents it from having any any sort of metal contact. You you know you're really ensuring that you're getting only the uh, the felt pad on the floor, and uh, you know it's not going to slide off because it's it's nailed in a you know more than a quarter inch into the wood. So it was just interesting for me to see the uh, over the years <laughs> the the technological improvements of of furniture pads, and um, you know for whatever reason they didn't have have what we have now available back then. So it was just a nice little thing. Other people had the same issue and thought of a solution. Yes, they did. And, uh, sold it to you. Yep. So it's a, it's a nice little success there. And, uh, in case anyone else has to move furniture around their (laughs) house, there's, there's better options than what you might have now. So, uh, you know, now, my free market success story was going to be um, at Wegmans where I do my food shopping. There's two rows of all the sodas, right? So I go there to get soda. I like to drink soda. And they were out of the kind I like. So that's frustrating. They're never out. Well, the next time I went there, they had three lines of that brand. So someone saw something, well, we're selling out of this. We need more of it. And that was the signal to Wegmans to supply more because every other line had two, uh, but this had three when I was nice. in there this morning. So without that, if they were rationed, I'd just be SOL. No soda for me. So did you go there and uh, grab your tractor and your and your trailer and, and load up on everything? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I would have done. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, the show notes page for this episode is McFlugal, McFlugal.com slash 144. We're going to link to Jared's uh, Twitter account. And uh, also give the name of his podcast there so you can make sure to catch it uh, when it is released. So, Jared, once again, thanks for coming on. We appreciate the conversation. Uh, I did learn a lot. It's, it's always good to get a, a perspective like the one you had and uh, hear, hear about someone who's actually been. I mean, we, we talk about libertarians. We all talk about uh, wars all the time and how awful they are. But uh, it's good to get a perspective of someone who's actually there experiencing it and, and even going through. Uh, kind of a transformation to becoming anti-war throughout the experience. So appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, no. Thank you for having me on, man. It was, it was awesome. Great. Yep. Looking forward to your podcast. Thank yep. you. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you next week. Peace.